As you know, uh, Pastor Frank's on call, so I'm doing both, both services today. And uh, we are in Exodus, and we're picking up with Exodus 16, verse 11. Exodus 16, verse 11. You know, we have to understand, as it tells us in Romans, that everything that we read, everything that was in the past that we read in Scripture is for our learning. In other words, that we might, from the example of Scripture, uh, learn lessons that would help us through life. Now, here's the thing we have to think about. When the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea into the wilderness, and the Red Sea came back together, destroying all the Egyptian army, they were free. You agree with that? They were free. But most of them spent their entire life wandering in the wilderness. They were free, but they wandered in the wilderness. There were only those who were below the fighting age of 20, and those like Joshua and Caleb who believed God crossed over. And you know what the difference was? Faith. They were saved, but they lived a wilderness, barren life when they could have lived a life abundantly. They could have gone into the promised land like the others did. And you see, the same is true with us. We're saved. We're born again in the Spirit, most of us. If you're not, I'm hoping that you will be through this teaching. But we're saved, and so we're taken, you know, out of all the bondage that we were held to by this world, Satan, and sin. But the fact is, are we just going to wander in the wilderness the rest of our Christian walk, or are we going to enter in? He has come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Now, that's not talking about, well, I'm going to be really rich now. It's not talking about that at all. The abundance life, abundant life has much more to do with our relationship with God than riches. You know, Vi and I don't have a barrel of money. We might be ragged and funny. How many of you are old enough to remember that song? Not too many, not too many. <clears throat> but, but the point I'm getting at is we don't have a lot of material riches, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade my life with anyone in the world because we have riches beyond what this life can offer. And the riches we have is not only based on our love for one another and our family, but it's based on the love we have from God. Because we're only able to love as he gives us his agapeo. That's a, it's a Greek word. It means unconditional. His, his pure love he pours into our heart, and that enables us to love others the same way. But the children of Israel had lessons to learn. And as I mentioned in the first service, it's so easy for us to be critical of the children of Israel, thinking, well, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they understand? We don't, right? We don't understand. We don't get it. We make all the same mistakes. And so we have to understand, we all have choices to make in life. We all do. And we all have a choice whether to complain or not to complain. And, you know... My uh, father used to say this to me, and he probably got it from his father many, many years ago. But he says, you know, it's no use complaining to people because 50% of the people you complain to don't care, and the other 50% are glad. <laughs> so it's better off to keep our complaints to ourselves and to just be thankful for all that God has given us. 
And uh, I know I, I mentioned this in the first service, but I can't help it. It was such a blessing. Yesterday, uh, we went to Chris Farms with Pastor Frank Jr. and his wife Nikki and, our, and their six children uh, to get a Christmas tree. And everyone that was there, most everyone, and it was smiling and happy and just having a good time. And it had nothing to do with riches. It had nothing to do with miracles. It just had everything to do with being thankful for what we have. Thankful for everything God has given us. And so we're picking up in uh, Exodus 16, verse 11, and let's pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. Outside of your word, we know nothing. And so as we break open this portion of scripture, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give me wisdom and a, an ability to share it in such a way that it, would, that it would minister to each one who's here. So now come, Lord, be among us, minister to us, and encourage us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> okay, Exodus 16, picking up with verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, <clears throat> Excuse me. and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He's the Lord. He's the God who provides. So it was that quail came up in the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness uh, but there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost in the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? You know what the Hebrew word for what is it is? Manna. <laughs> they said, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer, that's about four quarts, so it's quite a bit. For uh, each person, according to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. In other words, you might have someone beside your family who had need, someone who uh, was unable to take care of themselves, which showed the kind of compassion we're to have for others. So it was everyone in their tent that they could sow this manna for. Verse 17, when the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less, so when they measured uh, it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered lit little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. <clears throat> and Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. <laughs> I mean, why isn't that not surprising? I mean, just... <clears throat> but some of them left part of it until morning. Now listen to the results of those who took more than they should and left it till morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And it's amazing when we look at this because it shows how fickle man is. I mean, time after time, the Lord has shown his faithfulness 
Oh, Lord, why did you bring us out just to be killed by the Egyptian army? He opens the Red Sea. They go through in dry ground. Oh, Lord, the Egyptian army's coming after us. He closes the sea and destroys the entire Egyptian army. Then he takes them into the wilderness, and, and they, they go to, to Marah, and they say, Oh, Lord, the water's bitter. What are we going to drink? And so the Lord had Moses cut a tree down and throw it in the water, and it made the water sweet, and they were all happy. And then he took them to a place of, of you know, the 12 palms and so forth, and it was just wonderful. And now, and then they complain, Lord, we don't have anything to eat. The fact is, how often does the Lord have to provide before we start believing that he will provide when we don't have? And I love it so often, and I emphasized it when I was reading it, how many times it says he gave each man according to their need. What is our need? Our need isn't necessarily overabundance. Our need, brothers and sisters, is to have faith in the Lord, to trust him, and to know who he is. You know, we're living in a time, and of course, if you go to general news media, you'll never see this, but we're living in a time that all the prophecies are being fulfilled and coming into place for the Lord's return. I mean, it's amazing. And um, um, any of you who have been here long enough, you've heard me share with you that you want to... uh, pick up a free app on your phone. Can, can you imagine I'm 73 years old and I'm talking about apps and all that kind of stuff? I mean, I, I'm just with it for an old guy. <laughs> but anyway, you can get a free app from um, uh, Amir Surfati. And when we go to Israel, he's our guide. He's been a believer in Jesus Christ since he was 17. He, amazing. In fact, he was trained in Calvary Chapel. Uh, he went to Marietta Hot Springs to, to Bible College years and years ago. He's now lieutenant colonel in the IDF, and he's a guide, um, you know, like I said, when we go to Israel. And he has an app, and it's called Behold Israel. It's free. It doesn't cost a penny. And he'll give you some of the news of what's actually happening in the Middle East. And there are things that are happening. I mean, any of you who, who have studied Ezekiel 38... You understand the characters and nations that are going to be coming onto the northern border of Israel and coming against them. They're there. I don't mean they're there. I mean they are there. (laughs) They're there. It's absolutely amazing when we recognize how close we are. I mean, Israel's a nation. They just celebrated their 70th anniversary. And... If you were on Amir's website today, you found, found out that there was an agreement between Israel and three European nations for the supply of natural gas. Now, you might be thinking, what does that mean? Just bear with me for a minute. Off the Mediterranean Sea, they found a natural gas supply that was the largest in the world. And Russia had had an agreement with many European countries, and they were going to pipe natural gas across the Mediterranean Sea to the European nations. And now all of a sudden, Israel has a larger supply and is cutting in on them. And the armies from the north come for a booty, in other words, for a reward, in other words, for a product, natural gas, and other things as well. So everything is set. We we see it all around us. And it's kind of like if your house is on fire and you're, th- you're saying to your wife, I just want to see the last episode of whatever, you know. It's like, what? <laughs> your house is burning down. What do you mean you want to see the last episode? 
And the point that I'm getting at is we're living in a time Jesus could return any moment. And we're saying, I want to see the last episode of Simpsons or whatever it might be. <laughs> Follow the point? We have to keep our focus where it needs to be. And the children of Israel kept losing their focus. Now understand, whenever God gave them commands, he gave them commands not to show how tough and strong and mighty he was, but in order for them to prove their own faith to him. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's so important for us to understand. God doesn't, you know, make these demands and then get mad at them because they, they you know, failed and then discipline them because they failed. Everything God does is for our good, to show us our need and to give us more opportunity. The one thing that I'm thankful for is that we live in the time of grace. And Jesus, well, actually, grace is all through the Bible, but Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of grace. And you know what grace is? You strike out three times, you can get up to bat again. And maybe this time you'll hit a home run. And so we have to understand that grace is just so awesome. Now, we wouldn't need grace if, from the time I was saved... You know, I've been saved now 42 years, and from the day I was saved, I've never committed a sin. I mean, I'm, I'm about as holy as you can be. Well, if that were the case, then what would the purpose of grace be? But I'll tell you what. Every day, this is what I say. Oh, Lord, I can't understand why I'm such an idiot. Have you ever said that? Liars. No. Uh, <clears throat> We've all said that at one time or another. And maybe not in those words, but we, we think, what's wrong with me? God has given me so much, but I've messed up. But the Lord knows that we are flesh, that we're dust. Scripture tells us that. And so he gives us opportunity after opportunity, but each time we're getting better. You know, it's like you take two steps forward and one step back. But each time you're taking one step forward. You're always growing in the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing to know God's grace and God's mercy. <clears throat> you know, so many times um, I think people believe that they know better than God. They know more than God. Have you ever uh, <clears throat> led God in prayer? What do you mean, led God in prayer? Oh, Lord, I come before you, humble, just to tell you what I think you should do. Make this happen. Make that happen. Go this way and go that way. Do this and do that. Oh, Lord, I humbly beseech you. What? Here's the reality. We don't know what's best. We really don't. And so we just open our hearts before the Lord and say, Dear Lord, I pray your blessing upon so-and-so. I don't know how God wants to bless them. I don't know what would be the best blessing. Just bless them, Lord. But when we start giving directive prayers, we're actually putting our place... In, in the place of God. You know, like, I re, you know, when your children are start, start getting to that marrying age and, and, and you start off by saying, Lord, I pray that you would just bring the right person in the, into their life, a wonderful Christian person into their life. Lord, I pray that you do. That's good. It's good general prayer. You're just trusting the Lord. But then when you get to a place and you say, oh, Lord, I saw this handsome young man come into church this week. <laughs> And I could tell he's an amazing Christian, and I think he and my daughter would get along so far. Then you have a problem. Then you're starting to do directive prayers. 
And so we have to just have this faith that God is more than able to handle any concerns and problems we have. You know, turn to Numbers chapter 21. Because you can know God, like I said, to your own hurt, by putting your own will in rather than God's desire for your life. In Numbers 21, and go to verse 5. Excuse me, sorry. And I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 in Numbers 21. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Doesn't it seem like that gets kind of old? You know, at this point, it's four times they've said that exact same thing to God. Why have you brought us up, you know, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And each time the Lord supplies, and then they turn around and they pray the same thing again. For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this this worthless bread. Wow. First, it was a miracle from God that he provided the bread. He provided what they needed. And they were so excited about it, now they loathe it. Does that happen to us sometimes? The Lord gives us something, then after a while, it just kind of loses its appeal. Remember when you get a brand new car? Ah, this car is awesome so shiny. I love this car. Look at all the new instruments inside. You know, when you put it in reverse, the camera comes on, you back up in this and that. And then you pay the car off, and you've had it for another two or three years, and all of a sudden you start thinking, I'd like a different car. You know, and every car, oh, I wish I had that car. And, and then you start driving by dealerships, and you're like, because we're never satisfied. You know, the Lord gives us what we need, and then after a while, we get dissatisfied with it. And that's just what was happening here, this worthless bread. Understand, this bread gave them all the nutrients that they needed. They call it worthless. Because this bread was a gift from God, and it was a precursor to the bread that would come from heaven, wasn't it? So the Lord sent, this is in Numbers, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died instead of uh, receiving, uh, instead of receiving discipline, Jehovah revealed in his glory. And so, here's the point. Here they turn right around and they complain again, and every time they complain, the Lord brings discipline their way. And the Lord brings discipline for one reason. And what is the reason the Lord brings discipline? God disciplines those he loves. Discipline is always out of love. You know, a parent, for instance, who does not discipline their children in a godly biblical way, they're horrible parents. You know, if, if let's say we lived on a busy street and there's all kinds of Greyhound buses coming by and my children were little. Just think of Pastor Frank, this cute little six-year-old. He's so cute. And he's running around the yard. And just think if, if we were there and he started heading towards the road where all these Greyhound buses were coming down. And I said, gee, I hope he doesn't go out on the road. He could get killed. <laughs> now, you would think, what a horrible parent. But what do you do is you go and you take the child and say, no, you can't go out in the road. You're going to get hurt, and you bring them back into the yard. And the next time they start going out into the road in disobedience, you spank them. Not beat them, you spank them. You know? And why do you spank them? Because, oh boy, I can't wait to hurt you. You spank them so that they'll listen to you. 
And so they'll obey. Now, the next time, you don't even have to worry about it. They stay away from the road. But why do you discipline your children? Because you love them. And in the same way, God disciplines us because he loves us. Brothers and sisters, if I'm going down a wrong road and I'm doing things that are, that are ending up to my own destruction, I'm glad the Lord goes pew, 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 once in a while to me. I really am. And you know what I mean. You've had those times of self-loathing, have you? I have. You know, where you sit down at the end of the day and you go, oh, what a jerk I am. I can't believe I did this. And the Lord is disciplining us. And it's so that we can grow in our walk and in our relationship with him. And so here, God gives them this beautiful gift of manna, and they complain about it. So he sent fiery serpents among them because they disobeyed. And as many as were bit by the serpents died. And so the elders came to Moses and cried out. We'll get to Numbers in a little while. And they came to Moses and cried out said, Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? These serpents are coming in. They're killing the people in the camp. And so... Moses said, he, he went to the Lord, and, and the Lord gave him instructions. So Moses said, build a, a, a statue of a serpent, or an image of a serpent out of brass, and place it on a pole, and uh, stand it in the middle of the camp. And anyone who's bit by a serpent, if they look at that, they won't die. And so Moses did as the Lord told him to. And as many as were bit by a serpent, if they uh, looked at the statue of the serpent or the image of the serpent and it was on the staff, they didn't die. But here's how fickle people were. Eventually, Moses was commanded to destroy the staff with the serpent on it. You know why? They started worshiping it. They started worshiping the cure rather than the physician. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've healed me in, from sin. Thank you for the way you've healed me in so many ways, sometimes physically. But I'm worshiping you and thanking you because you're the one who's done it. Now, think about this. How pitiful it is when God provides everything we need, but then we have a tendency to think it's not enough. I want more. You know, guys are more like that, I think, than women. Don't you think? You know, the guy goes, if I just had a little fishing boat, I'd love to have a little fishing boat with a little 10-horsepower trolling motor in the back so that I could go out on Onondaga Lake and, you know, fish for, you know, for bass. And it would just be so nice. So you get your nice little boat with a 10-horsepower motor in the back and you go out fishing. And then next year it's like, you know, Lord, it would be so nice if I had just a little bit bigger boat and it had a 25 horse. And next thing you know, you want a yacht. And, and it's like you're never satisfied. You always want something more. How wonderful it is. Because we have to understand contentment is great gain, Scripture tells us. And so if we have contentment, whatever we have, and we have it with contentment, there's nothing better than that. Thank you, Jesus, for what I have. You know? Like, for instance, I have a cool sports car in the garage that the Lord gave to me about four years ago. It's a, 19, uh, it's a 2007 Pontiac, um, what's it called? Salsas, Pontiac Salsas, a little two-seater, beautiful. This guy back there has one too. But you know why it's sitting in my garage? It's broke. <laughs> it's broke. 
And uh, so sitting in my garage, and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? I don't know. If the Lord wants me to sell it, I'll sell it. If the Lord wants me to fix it, I'll fix it. The whole thing is to just be content. Because I had a choice. When that car broke, you don't understand how much I loved, you know, putting the top down in that little red sports car, and I had my little five-speed, and I'd tooling along the road, and, you know, and everybody waved to me and beeped their horn, and I'd driving along. And then all of a sudden, it's broke. And I had a choice. I could either become very angry. How did this happen? Why did you do this to me, Lord? Or to just say, Lord, whatever. And thankfully, the Lord put it on my heart to just say, whatever. I didn't run and go into debt to get it fixed. I just put it in the garage. Put it up for the winter. And the thing we have to understand is contentment is such great gain. Godliness with contentment is how the scripture goes, is great gain. What a wonderful thing to just be satisfied with what we have. You know, in Exodus 16, it talks about in the evening they brought quail and it covered the camp. And um, the Israelites, you know, stuffed themselves on meat. Why? Because God always keeps his word. He said that he would give them bread in the morning to their full, as much as they wanted to eat, and he would give them meat in the evening, as much as they need it. And I shared in the morning service, and I wasn't going to share at this service, but I will anyway. Um, I really think there's something to that nutritionally. And um, because bread is a carbohydrate, which is what we need for energy. And so it gives you the energy you need to do all your work throughout the day. And protein, meat, is what you need in the evening to build up the muscle that you used all day. Because if you, and I shared this as well, there, there's, I don't want to get into the whole chemical formula, but the carb, carbon and hydrogen are basically the same in, in carbohydrate and fat. So if you take in carbohydrate for energy and you don't use it for energy, it turns to fat. So I think there's something healthy here. And Vi and I are trying this diet, like I said, uh, in the first service, we're starting tomorrow. And so if next week I come in and I'm like, you know, (laughs) well, then you say, wow, it really works. But if I just kind of drag in. But I think everything that's in the word of God is there for a reason. So I'm going to, we're, we're going to try that. We're going to you know, get up in the morning and have our Wheaties, and for lunch we're going to have veggies and fruit, and then for the evening we're just going to eat meat. Okay. <laughs> Not that that means anything. That was free. <laughs> God keeps his word. In 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What does that mean? What it means is you belong to God. You've been born again of the Spirit. You're His. All good good gifts are yours in abundance. And so even when we are faithless, in other words, we're jerks, God remains faithful to us because He cannot deny Himself. He cannot deny the salvation and the love that He's already poured into our hearts. And that gives us the ability and the willingness to turn around and say, Lord, forgive me for being such a jerk today. Fill me with your love. Because once again, as I mentioned in the beginning, we might be saved, but we can spend our whole life wandering in the wilderness. It's our choice. Or we can enter into the promised land. Because we have to understand, the problem isn't God keeping his promise or his word. 
it's our not being satisfied with his provision. Let me say that again. The problem isn't God keeping his word or providing what we need. It's our not being satisfied with it. He always provides. He always gives us our need. Because we have to understand God is always and is still faithful and he is able to make whatever we gather to be the right amount. Remember it said those who gathered much, it was the right amount. Those who gathered little, it was the right amount. God is still able to do that. Whatever we have is the right amount. I mean, Vi and I have been so blessed by the Lord. And the blessings that we experience are the smallest things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just the smallest things. The companionship, you know, family, church family that we love so much. Not that you're a small thing. But, I mean, our church family, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing. We have so much with the Lord. We have so much. Now, notice, each one gathered his own manna. He didn't have someone else gather manna for him. Each one gathered his own manna. You can't have someone be spiritual for you. If you're coming to, uh, to church on a Sunday, and this is the only day you're hearing the word of God, and you're expecting me to give you all the manna that you need for the week, you're wrong. I'm here to encourage you to be a manna picker, <laughs> to go out and get your own manna. I'm encouraging you to go out and get your own meat. Because if you do that, the Lord is able to bless you. You know, um, silly analogy, but centuries ago when I was in the Army, a long time ago when I was in the Army, and uh, I remember uh, First Sergeant saying to me one time, because I always had good ideas. I really did. I always had really good ideas. And he says, Thomas, I don't care about your ideas. <laughs> he said, Here, here's the point. He said, there's your way and there's the Army way. And the army weighs right, and you're wrong. And the reality is true. Sometimes there's our way, and there's God's way. God's way is always right. We just need to submit to it. And just say, thank you, Lord, for everything that you give. Because when we don't obey the Lord in gathering our own manna for the day, what happens? It's filled with worms, and it stinks. It's rotten. So we have to be willing to just say, Lord, allow me to just gather what I need. Now, for you and I, the manna that we're gathering from heaven is Jesus Christ and his word. His word is like manna. His word is food to us. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 47. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. And verse 47. I'm going to read verses 47 through 41. You can tell I was a teacher because they, they taught us when I was taking educational courses uh, at SUNY Cortland. Any SUNY Cortland guys here? Oh, nobody. <laughs> Me? <laughs> Nikki, you didn't raise your hand. She graduated from SUNY Cortland. Yeah. But anyway, um, I don't know what I was going to say. What was I talking about? What was it? Oh, yeah, to repeat, because when I was taking an education course, they said, the first time you say to a student, turn to page so-and-so, the students are saying, huh? 
And then the second time you say it, it's like, what was that again? And then the third time you say it, they got it. So if you ever, those of you who are still in school, you'll notice that your teachers and professors will always repeat themselves three times when they're telling you to go to a certain portion of Scripture. But because of where you are, for the fourth time, turn to, no, I just, (laughs) John 6, and pick up with verse 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. That's how easy it is. He who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you have eternal life. That's the word of God. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. Now look at what he says. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. As believers, we never die. You will never lose conscious awareness of your relationship with God and Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Never. Even at the moment of death, you will be with the Lord. He is absent from the body, will be present with the Lord. What a promise that is to all of us, especially my age. But anyway, verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See, the man in the wilderness sustained them physically, but the true bread of life sustains us eternally, gives us eternal life. What an awesome promise that is from God. You see, when the Lord said, remember he said, you can only gather what you need for that day. And think about how often we're worried about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries about itself, it says in Matthew. But we're always worried about tomorrow. Oh, what's going to happen then? What's going to happen five years from now? What's gonna, you know what? Just worry about today. Today has enough of its own problems and worries. Just be content with what God has given you for today. Now, why does it tell us, though, on this day it's okay to gather for two days? Because the next day was the Sabbath, the Shabbat. It's a time of rest. It's a time that God had given to the children of Israel to rest from their labors, from their labors for a purpose. And that purpose was to worship Him, to be in fellowship with Him. That was the reason for it. And uh, God desires we, His children, today to have a day of rest, to worship him, to contemplate who he is, and to think about all the things he's given us. And I think, honestly, the Christian religious system, the religious system, has done so much, so much, in distorting the Christian faith. I think it's done so much in distorting the Christian faith. Because we have to realize Religion is religion. It's man's attempt to have a relationship with God. It doesn't go anywhere. Faith is believing God has provided the way. And so we have to come to a place of understanding where God has provided everything that we need. And we need to be content with that. Remember when um, John saw Jesus walking towards him? In the, in the Gospel of John, actually, to be baptized. And, and John the Baptist pointed to Jesus Christ, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so just like the children of Israel had the sacrificial lamb to give them each, you know, life, they put the blood on the lentil and doorpost. We all know the day of the Passover. We have the Lamb of God. But ever, whoever eats of his bread, whoever eats of him, has eternal life. Never dies. 
It's a great promise that we have from the Lord. Because Jesus Christ, you see, fulfilled the Sabbath in his resurrection. And a lot of people have asked me, why do we worship on the first day of the week when the Jews worshiped on the last day of the week? It's because just as the high priest changed, there has been a new uh, law that was given. And the law is that Jesus Christ is our Passover. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. And so it tells us in Scripture that Jesus Christ arose early in the morning on the first day of the week. It's Monday. And that's, or Sunday, I'm sorry. Just testing. Sunday. And that's the reason we gather together on Sunday. You read the book of Revelation, it says John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And so the first day of the week became known as the Lord's Day. And so, um, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he arose early on the first day of the week. He is alive. He is not dead. He is a living, the living God. And he pours out his spirit, his manna, his love into each one of us that we also have eternal life. I mean, it's so amazing to me when I think about it. Because, you know, a lot of people say, well... Where, where, where in the Bible does it tell us we, we, we have to be born again, we have to be saved? Well, in First John, when it, says, when it says, he who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son does not have life. I think that's pretty simple. He who's born again, he who has Jesus Christ has life. No, eternal life is what is mentioned there. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. It's as simple as that. Well, how can I be assured of eternal life? Have the Son. Be born again. Oh, how can I be born again? Would I have to enter a second time into my mother's womb? Remember Nicodemus said that? And Jesus said, no. He said, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the Spirit is spirit. So how are we born again of the Spirit? Our spirit's dead. Before we're saved, our spirit's dead. And then we come to a place where someone has presented Jesus Christ to us in such a way that we realize, I need something. Because... I don't think there's an unsaved person that I've ever met that doesn't recognize, if they're being honest, that they're a sinner. That they have a lot of junk in their life. And everyone knows there's something happens after death. Because our body, the physical, you know, frame that we walk around in, is physical. It deteriorates. It gets old. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny. I look in the mirror at times in the morning, and it's like, <laughs> because I look at my high school senior picture, and I think, yeah, <laughs> that was me. Then I look in the mirror, and I realize, he's shrinking. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm shrinking. I'm, I'm getting, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I know that my physical body is temporary. But I know that I know that I know that my soul and spirit are eternal. I know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I know for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I know if the rapture came today, those who are left and are still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I'll be among that throng that meets the Lord in the air. I know that. It's not a guess. 
It's the fact. It's the truth. And so if there's anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, their God, and their Savior, this is the day of your salvation. It's not magic. It's nothing, you know, all it is is just in your own heart saying, Jesus, forgive me, a sinner. Take over my life. And his love will do that. Because here's one of the things that, that I can tell you after walking with the Lord for how long? I have to refer to my wife for figures. Forty, long time, 40-some years. That I have never lost hope in the Lord and something's different in me. I don't wake up in the morning. You know, most of us wake up in the morning, we clear our throat, <clears throat> me, 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 me. But hopefully we wake up in the morning as a believer and we say, him, 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 him. We want to serve the Lord. Something's changed within us. We can't do the things that we once did and feel good about it. We can't do things that we know are wrong and feel good about it. We can't be mean to people and feel good about it. We just can't do that. Because God has placed something in our heart, our, our cardiac, our inner man. And I pray that if there's anyone here who needs the love of God through Christ Jesus, that you would make that commitment. And if you'd like to make that commitment and you never have, I'll be here. There's elders here. And when I talk about elders, I don't mean just the official elders of the church. I'm talking about mature believers here. All of them can help you along. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your word is truth. And we thank you for the fact that you're able to take your word and help us apply it to our hearts. Lord, come by your Holy Spirit and minister to each one here, each one who's here. And if there are any who need salvation, I pray that this would be the day. And if there are others, Lord, that are dealing with physical, emotional, spiritual, and social problems, Lord, you're the great physician. You're the only one who can give them what they need. But I pray that you pour out your blessing into their hearts. And even before they walk out these doors this morning, they'd feel your peace and know you're at work in their lives. And now come, Lord minister to and encourage us by your spirit i pray in jesus name amen and amen and god bless you my dear friends thank you for being here